0: From Washington, DC., this is on the ground. As president-elect Joe Biden starts to fill his cabinet with corporate grifters and warhawks, young activists for environmental justice and a Green New Deal say, "Not so fast," and vow to hold Biden accountable.
1: Biden won this election with an unprecedented mandate from like young people, black and brown people. And if it wasn't for us coming out in record numbers, like he would have lost. And it's like we voted for him, now it's the turn to hold up his end of the bargain and fight like hell for us too.
0: And the violence and vandalism by Trump supporters who descended on DC for the million mega march goes largely uncovered in corporate media and spurs anti-fascist and anti-racist activists to regroup to counter these emboldened white supremacists. For this month's episode of The F Word on Fascism, I speak to two people who were on the ground, Sansara Taylor of Refuse Fascism and Shawn Michael Love of Black House
2: News. If this is just a tourist town for racists and not for the people that actually live here, then this isn't the town and this isn't the nation's capital that we deserve.
0: All that and much more, coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, ground OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. And as the U.S. has topped a quarter million coronavirus deaths and more than 11.5 million cases, 180 health experts sent a letter to Emily Murphy, the head of Trump's General Services Administration, on Thursday, urging her to start the transition to the team of President-elect Joe Biden, saying that failure to have a smooth transition will cost American lives. With cases surging across the country, healthcare workers continue to work long days. Mary Turner, president of the Minnesota Nurses Association, told Biden in a recorded roundtable this week that nine months into the COVID crisis, vital protective gear is still in short supply at some hospitals.
1: At our hospital, we're down to the two shifts that we were in '95, and they have tried to bring down the numbers because we started off back in February wearing our N95s 10 times, 10 shifts. But this is where the lack of a federal plan okay. has really hurt the states. I have to place the blame on the lack of our hospitals being able to get uh, secure supply lines.
0: More U.S. healthcare and other essential workers are saying that they are no longer being treated like heroes. Here in D.C., teachers are not heading back into the classroom because they say those classrooms are not safe. Thomas O'Rourke has more.
3: Washington Teachers Union President Elizabeth Davis said Wednesday that D.C. teachers will not agree to return to in-person learning because of a lack of clear public health guidelines and the continuing failure of the school district to engage administrators and teachers around reopening plans. She said, quote, the WTU has determined it is not in the best interest of our students, teachers, and all school-based employees to sign the MOA at this time. End quote. The tentative agreement allows teachers to opt out for the second academic term, but these protections would end beginning at the start of the third term on February 1st. Meanwhile, across the nation, numerous school districts in New York City, Kentucky, and Virginia's Fairfax County have all renounced efforts to return to in-person classrooms, citing spiking COVID cases and likely won't return until sometime in 2021. For On the Ground, this is Thomas O'Rourke.
0: And just as much of the American public is taking its cue from Trump and still does not believe that the coronavirus is even real, thousands of Trump supporters descended on Washington, D.C. November 13th to the 15th because they believe that Trump actually won the election over Joe Biden. Though largely uncovered by corporate media, white supremacists attacked anti-fascist and anti-racist protesters over the weekend and tore down artwork on Black Lives Matter Plaza, memorializing those killed by police. More on what happened over the weekend later in the show. In other important post-election news, investigative journalist Greg Pallas said on the podcast Pushback with Aaron Maté that the real story of election fraud is all the mail-in ballots thrown out and not counted, which would actually increase Biden's lead in Georgia and would have given a first-round win to Georgia senatorial candidate John Ossoff. In other national news, the COVID crisis is putting more urgency into the effort to free the incarcerated from COVID-laden prison cells, and that includes political prisoners. Chantel James has more.
4: The demands of abolitionists take on new urgency as the COVID-19 crisis highlights the need for decarceration. The movement to free revolutionary prisoner Mumia Abu-Jamal continues now in the 38th year of his unjust incarceration, and on Monday, the campaign to bring Mumia home hosted a press conference urging the public to put pressure on officials. Moderator Joanna Fernandez led a conversation between voices like Angela Davis, Pam Africa, Lynn Washington Jr., and Kwame Ajamu connecting the need to free Mumia Abu-Jamal to the goal of abolishing prisons. Angela Davis explained why decarceration is an abolitionist imperative now more than ever.
5: Well, first of all, decarceration is not difficult. Uh, As a matter of fact, there are examples of prisons um, in the U.S. and other parts of the world where people have been released. uh, because there is no other way to address the threat of COVID-19. Uh, there's, there's no social distancing uh, behind bars. Uh, and we know that that all of the other measures we've been asked to take to protect ourselves from this virus are not possible behind bars. So that the only solution, the only effective solution It's an abolitionist uh, solution. Uh, Simply release people uh, who are inside in order to begin to um, reduce the threat of uh, COVID-19. And this is not only for the sake of those who will suffer uh, like uh, 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 Russell Maroon Schultz uh, in prison, but for the sake of of our communities, our entire uh, communities. uh, the, the most active major clusters of COVID-19 are in our uh, prisons. Simply release people, uh, release people uh, in, in order to minimize the threat of COVID-19 and then that should serve as an example how we can begin to engage in processes of decarceration more broadly.
4: Davis also talked about the relationship between working to free political prisoners and the broader goal of abolition, saying that we owe much of the intellectual groundwork of abolition to those who were kept behind bars. For On the Ground, this is Chantal James.
0: And of course, the other human rights story coming out of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania this week is the statement from the Philadelphia City Council apologizing for the 1985 bombing of the Back to Nature group MOVE. The bombing killed 11 people, including women and children, and burned down 65 homes in West Philadelphia. Mumia Abu-Jamal is a longtime supporter of the MOVE organization. And for international news, I'm joined by on-the-grounds geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. And, Gerald, I thought that we might just start with the White House this week. On the one hand, Donald Trump is sending the military-industrial complex into a tizzy here in D.C. with his orders to bring thousands of troops home from Afghanistan and Iraq. And on the other hand, he seems to be provoking a possible attack on Iran. So what kind of mark or legacy is Trump trying to leave in these final weeks of his presidency?
6: Well, he's leaving landmines for the presumed incoming Biden administration. You may have noticed that Secretary of State Michael Pompeo has been spending quite a bit of quality time in Israel lately. In addition to basically defaming the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement against Israel, which has a thriving base here in the United States, he has also been issuing threats against Iran, and it's felt that he's conferring with Benjamin Netanyahu about a possible Israeli attack on Iran. On the other hand, there is a kind of intersection of the Trump administration recklessness and the Biden team's weakness on foreign policy. For example, in the Wall Street Journal just this past Thursday, there was an article suggesting that the Biden administration should re-enter the World Health Organization, but should demand the ouster of Dr. Tedros, the Ethiopian leader of the WHO, in addition to pulling for and calling for the admittance of Taiwan to the WHO, the Chinese rebel province. The BBC at the same time has charged that Dr. Tedros, who is also Tigrayan, is aiding the Tigray revolt, against the central administration in Addis Ababa, up to and including raising money for arms. Now, given the weakness of the Biden team with regard to resisting right-wing thrusts, it may lead to the Biden administration capitulating to this right-wing nonsense, which would be akin to throwing the airplane pilot out of the plane in the middle of the flight. That is to say, Dr. Chedros is very essential to the battle against the pandemic. Hmm. In addition, I think that the situation is worsened by the fact that a central base of the Biden victory, speaking of the black American community, has basically been missing in action when it comes to foreign policy, which then makes the incoming Biden administration more susceptible to these right-wing thrusts. In any case, it does not bode well that we can even talk in this vein, not to mention the fact that many of his top advisors, including Michelle Flournoy and Nicholas Burns and Susan Rice, are all veterans of various foreign policy fiascos going back decades, including Afghanistan, Iraq, and Libya.
7: Hmm.
0: I know you mentioned the conflict in Ethiopia, uh, I think on Thursday the the see, the Tigray on Thursday the Tigray People's Liberation Front these rebels in that province said that the federal government uh, a federal government strike injured many students at a university and while this strike wasn't conf- couldn't be confirmed by journalists um uh, it was said that um, several people were injured, and, um, and or that it, that it resulted in heavy casualties, and that uh, many people were also in, injured. So, um, when you look at this, I mean, what's, your, what's your take on what's happening in Ethiopia?
6: Well, first of all, let me clarify those allegations on BBC about Dr. Tedros have not been confirmed, point number one. Point number two, it's a very serious conflict. Uh, As you know, the Tigrayan population is only about 6-7% to of the 100 million strong Ethiopian population, but it plays an outsized role, given the fact that it had been ruling for decades in Addis Ababa, until the ascension of Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. And it's also fair to say that these attacks are leading to a flood of refugees into neighboring Sudan, which in turn is weakening that fragile administration as well, not to mention the fact that Ethiopia has been a kind of important force in terms of trying to bring stability to neighboring Somalia. And obviously that's going to be compromised as well, not to mention the fact that that the Tigrayans have charged that neighboring Eritrea has been cooperating with Ethiopia in terms of pressuring uh, Tigray, which led to the Tigrayan forces launching projectiles into the Asmara Airport in Eritrea. So it's a crisis that's spreading. It's said that Ethiopia is too big to fail. I hope that that proves to be the case.
0: Well, there's so many things we have to keep watching. but. Watch we will and cover and and speak out here on, on the ground. I've been speaking with our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Thanks as always for joining me, Gerald. Thank you. And finally, in culture and media, our journalist hero, the late Les Payne, was awarded the National Book Award, along with his daughter, Tamara Payne, for his biography of Malcolm X, titled The Dead Rising*. Also, Motherboard reported this week that the U.S. military is tracking individuals around the world by buying the location data recorded by apps on their phones. Several of these apps are designed for the global Muslim community, the largest of which is a Muslim prayer app, with 98 million downloads. According to Motherboard, some app developers may not even know they're giving data to the military. And finally, Lydia Curtis reports on new developments in the effort to save an historic African burial ground in Bethesda, Maryland.
5: What do we want? Justice! When do we want it? Now! If we don't get it...
8: On Saturday, October 31, 2020, the Bethesda African Cemetery Coalition and its supporters gathered in the cold to educate the community about the desecration of the Moses African Cemetery on River Road in Bethesda, Maryland. The cemetery sits next to Bethesda Self Storage and behind McDonald's. Some of the graves have already been disturbed by excavation to create a parking garage. The coalition marched with a huge banner that said, desecration is racism from Macedonia Baptist Church, two blocks away, and hung a huge banner from the Capitol Crescent Trails overpass, which is adjacent to the site. Macedonia, Baptist Church, the historic owner of the cemetery, is leading the fight for a halt to further construction on the site and the creation of a memorial to the enslaved Africans buried there. Archaeologist Tammy Hilburn details what the developer, 1784 Holdings Company, and the developer, Bethesda Self Storage, have been doing.
9: This is a scene of a crime, historically and currently. We watched and photographed all summer long the obliteration of the archeology span and possible human remains and burials of African Americans at River Road. It was disturbing, but our photographic team did it along with the protest and everybody else who's been supporting, so. On August 24th, Nick took a picture of a tombstone that came up out of the soil right before our eyes on August 24th. We have sent out those photos of the tombstone to forensic specialists in New York City and London. The digital data from those photos, the metadata, has been verified by some of the highest level forensic teams internationally. That information, that evidence, that there was a cemetery here and that those photos of the tombstone have been submitted to James McCarthy, the state's attorney for Montgomery County. Maryland has the highest degree of incarceration, the highest number of incarceration of blacks in the nation. Now, you tell me what the relationship between that and the desecration of an African American cemetery is, and then therein lies a the problem. So this is in the very fabric of our nation, in the very soil. But this is about recognition and respect. Two words. It's real simple. It's not, it doesn't take an archaeologist to figure this out. You know, we don't need to be anything more than good humans to figure this
8: out. Coalition leader Marsha Coleman Atabayo indicated that the Capital Area Parks and Planning provided the permit without which this excavation could not have taken place and is demanding a criminal investigation by State's Attorney John McCarthy. For further information on how to support, visit Cemetery.org. This is Lydia Curtis for On the Ground.
0: And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us.
7: Chatterjee with U.S. Climate Action Network and Arm-in-Arm. And we are out here this morning taking our steps into the vision of the future we want. We are walking over to the DNC to hold out there and bring forward our vision of the future that we voted for, that Biden ran on, and that now we want to see in Biden's picks for the Cabinet. And we're asking that biden be brave right now and and stand by all of the things that we work so hard to elect him to do and we got a great crew out here we got frontline leaders uh indigenous black brown community members from here in dc we're being really careful with covid covid rates are going up exponentially and sadly so are so many of the injustices that we're seeing, and we're here to demand a holistic solution because we know we can't deal with these issues alone. We've got to deal with them together. Thank you, Kaya.
6: Kaya, can you tell us what exactly we'll be doing at the DNC today?
7: Yeah, we are going to be ha- telling stories. We have three altars uh, that, that we're putting up to represent millions of union jobs, to represent racial justice, to represent climate justice. And we're going to be bringing stories from all over the country of how people are are hurting right now and in pain. And we're also going to be bringing some beautiful stories forward of the future and the vision that we imagine that we can have together uh, as as we work together to create that.
2: Thank you so much, Kayla.
7: Thank you. Yeah,
2: would you like to share about why you're out here
1: today? Uh, yeah, vaccine. I'm out here because, you know, climate crisis is really affecting a lot of people. Uh, I mean, you saw in California, Oregon, Washington, all those people had their houses burned down. People died. And, have, and you look at the hurricanes in the Caribbean and all of the destruction and the pain that's happening. And so I'm out here to fight to stop the climate crisis and also to make sure we win a Green New Deal that's an investment in black and brown communities, which I believe in that too. We've never invested in, in those communities. In our American history, and so I would want—I'd love to make history and right. fight for justice like that. Thanks
5: so much. Yeah. And how do you feel about Joe Biden
3: being elected,
1: and why are we out here demanding pushing? I mean, it feels good to not have Trump, <laughs> 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 and uh, you know Biden's got to do better. He's already—he doesn't have the best record on this sort of stuff, so. We're out here to push him and make sure that he actually is going to stop the climate crisis. You look, I mean, you look at it, Obama said he's going to stop the climate crisis, and it never happened. So we gotta, we gotta, the people's gotta unite to like put that pressure on Biden so that it actually ends. Because at this point, you know, we only have a matter of years before like it just gets absolutely terrible, where no one's going to be able to ignore it. No one, everyone's going to feel the heat of the climate crisis. Yeah. Thank you so much for
10: sharing. Um,
1: yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say. that i mean biden won this election with an unprecedented mandate from like young people black and brown people and if it wasn't for us coming out in record numbers like he
7: would have lost
1: and now we're saying like the climate crisis is an existential threat for our generation but also like naomi said for like black and indigenous people and brown people all over this country and if he actually wants like we voted for him now it's the turn to hold up his end of the bargain and fight like hell for us too totally thank you so much for sharing We have Yane Indigo, who is born in the part of Lenape territory known as Philadelphia, in the so-called United States of America. Yane is a freedom fighter, a writer, and a singer. As an organizer, she struggles toward abolition of and liberation from capitalism, colonialism, and imperialism for all people. She is a coordinating committee member and the outreach coordinator of the Black Alliance for Peace, and a core organizer with Black Lives Matter Philly, representing the chapter of the Black Lives Matter National Network. She is a founding member of the Ubuntu Freedom Build and helped launch the Black Philly Radical Collective. So join me in welcoming Yane to share some great words with you.
11: Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. As stated by my good sister here, um, I am from the part of the Hoking that is known as Philadelphia. I just want to start off by speaking um, my uh, belief in the importance of solidarity between the black and indigenous communities. Um, there is no liberation without that solidarity. The black community needs to address issues of indigenous erasure. The indigenous community needs to address issues of anti-blackness and we need to work together in order to accomplish those things so that we can actually be a unified community fighting and leading the path to liberation. The history of this U.S. is founded on the genocide of those the effort to effort for genocide because of course we know that our indigenous family is still here but the end the effort to to have a genocide against the indigenous communities and then the enslavement of African communities in order to build what exists here on stolen land and so we have to remember I want to like take you back to Some of you may have taken this um, the Myers-Briggs test. I don't know if anybody's ever familiar with the Myers-Briggs test. But one thing that the Myers-Briggs test, my sister took that when she was 18 and she took it again when she was in her 30s. And when she was in her 30s, um, she expected, because she had taken, learned about like what things she had as weaknesses and things, and had worked on herself, so she thought that there would be different results when she took it again so many years later. And she had the exact same result. And the person who um, administered the test that second time explained to her, that the Myers-Briggs test, it speaks to who you are at your core and that that doesn't change. And I like to tell that story because we have to remember that this system that we keep trying to change is a particular thing at its core. It is a system of genocide and enslavement and that perpetuates to this day. And you know, you can think about like the images that you get of enslavement. One of the main images that you get is that, Babies being stolen from their mothers and taken away. That is what the U.S. is doing right now. The, the U.S. has so many people who are imprisoned right now that are being used in order as free labor in order to produce items for that, which is one of the biggest polluters in the world, which is the U.S. military. And so, when we talk about things like the transformation of, of systems we really have to recognize and I hear my sister over here was speaking and her, she was using abolitionist language and again in Philly we are an abolitionist organizing community and so we recognize that there is a system in place that we have to we have to deal with and address but we do not depend at all on that system in order to move us towards progress and so You know, we have like we talked about the difference between like we've kind of overcome fascism, even though we haven't, um, and now we're facing neoliberalism. And that's kind of like good cop, bad cop, you know, but in Philly, we say there are no good cops in a racist system. There can be no good cops in a racist system. And so we have to recognize that this new situation is a perpetuation of the same thing with a slightly different face and the only way that we are going to make the kind of difference that we want is to actually take responsibility ourselves so while we are standing here talking to biden about and talking to cop about how they need to you know be held accountable to our communities we really have to hold ourselves accountable to the world that we want to build and the world that we want the liberation that we want for ourselves and for each other and for our children and the generations to come in philadelphia what we have been doing is we have been actually embodying through various kinds of programming and, and program development and community building projects the world that we want and then once we build that then we can go to the system holders and we can tell them take those resources that you've been putting into these projects that don't work and put those resources into the projects that we have built from the ground up from the community level. And that is the only way that we're gonna make a difference. If we sit here and we keep complaining to these elected officials, we're not gonna get done. We say, we say black lives matter. We say all black lives matter. And when we say that, we can't just mean all black lives in the US matter. Okay, we have people all around the world. This imperialist system is all across the globe.
10: To who dare to interrupt the violence,
0: to those who expose the truth and break the silence, warriors who work to open up the prison bars, valiant souls who stand up against the unjust wars, multitudes who defile. Wars... You have been listening to the voices of activists marching to and rallying at the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee near Capitol Hill on Thursday, November 19, twenty twenty. Activists plan to camp outside the DNC Occupy style Thursday night to pressure President-elect Joe Biden to make his administration's cabinet reflect support for climate justice and the youth and people of color that tipped the election in his favor. This is Esther Ivarim, producer and host of On the Ground, thanking you for being a part of our audience. And a special thanks to our supporters on Patreon and PayPal for helping to make the show possible. You too can partner with us in keeping alive this independent grassroots news program from Washington, D.C. Your fully tax-deductible donation of as little as $3 a month helps us to keep lifting up voices of activism and resistance to corporate power and corporate media. Go to our page at patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash on the ground show, where we post the show and bonus material. Or you can see all ways to support, including on PayPal and Giving Tuesday on our website, which you know is OnTheGroundShow.org. Thank you. This is On The Ground, ground OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Now, though largely uncovered by corporate media, white supremacists attacked anti-fascist and anti-racist protesters over the weekend here in D.C. and tore down artwork on Black Lives Matter Plaza, memorializing those killed by police. For this month's episode of The F Word on fascism, I speak to people who were on the ground over the weekend. I'm here in downtown D.C. with Sunsara Taylor. She's a co-convener of Refuse Fascism. And she led a small delegation of counter-protesters to the MAGA march on Saturday, November 14th. And Sansara, the first news item I saw about the march said that it was largely peaceful during the day. And I only had to get a notice from your organization, Refuse Fascism, to see that that wasn't the case. So tell our listeners what happened from your perspective that morning.
10: Yeah, well, refusefascism.org, we did call a counter-protest, and a lot of people said, don't go down, don't protest. But we felt this was important to do because this kind of white supremacy, the hatred, the bigotry, the lies, the refusal to accept that Trump lost the election, the attempt to overturn an election, all this is dangerous. It's fascist, and to let it run amok in the public square unchallenged, there's never been a time in history, in this country around the world, where leaving a mob... To a mass unchallenged ends in anything but that mob growing more aggressive. And so we felt it was necessary to go and do a counter-protest. We did a non-violent political counter-protest right in the middle, right when it was starting at eleven thirty in the morning down by Freedom Plaza. And we went, There there's a couple dozen of us maybe, and we raised a banner that said Trump Pence out now. We had signs, we said, Trump lost, the election's over, Biden won, he's gotta go, get over it. And from the moment we raised our banner... y'all had some other chance too, right? Oh yeah, we said, Trump, pack your shh, you're illegitimate. Now it rhymed, but oh, I can't right, say right. that on the radio. Right. But we had, yeah, we had a lot of, we had a lot of, we said, oh, oh my God, we found the fraud. His name is Trump and he just got dumped. We were standing on the victory of him being voted out, but also confronting that these fascists are unreconciled to that. So we raised our banner and within moments, first it was verbal harassment. And then people were, you know, forcefully, purposefully bumping into us. But within like two or three minutes, there was we were surrounded by a hundred and soon hundreds, probably 500 or more fascist thugs like a mob. They were grabbing, shoving, some of them punched. They were trying to knock us over. They tore up our banner, they just shredded it. They tore up our sound equipment. I mean, it was busted up. And they tried to break our spirits, but that they did not do. When this is all happening,
0: where are you? You're out on the street, or are you, were you on the plaza?
10: We were on the intersection of Freedom Plaza at the 14th Street end, in the middle of the open intersection, where there was more space. The plaza was full by that point, because in the last 48 hours, Trump gave his support to this rally, and it mushroomed insides. And also it was promoted by, on Fox News by Hannity and uh, a few other hosts there. That's right. So it was. It had grown by that point. So we were in the streets where there was more space, but then we were set upon. And literally, we were hundreds surrounded by hundreds. And I think the Washington Post described it. They said the young, the women who led this t- small march kept breaking free and chanting, and then they get engulfed again by this mob. And it went like this. For two full blocks, we were marching with a trail of hundreds and hundreds of MAGA thugs. And I just want to say... They singled out the black people in our group. They were screaming at them, racist things, all lives matter and things I will not repeat. And they were going after people who appeared to maybe be non-conforming gender types. They, they went after people with viciousness and physicality that was very violent and seething with lust for, for blood. And these were the inheritors. Honestly, these are the kinds of people who would have gathered to watch black people be lynched and brought their children, which is the history of this country, and that is what Trump has always meant when he said, make America great again. He always meant white again, and they knew what it meant. And this is who was out here, and and it's, it's very good that Trump lost. We have to stand on that, but this fascism has not been repudiated thoroughly through society, so it was right to be out there, and more people should have been out there. So, when you said that uh, they would set upon the, the black
0: people in particular, have, first of all, how many folks do you, did you have in your group, and what did you mean
10: when they set upon them? What did they do exactly? Well, they were, uh, we had a couple dozen in our small group. Um, there was more who were going to hook up with us, but we just got overwhelmed from the second we put up our banner. So, they got in the faces of the black women, of the black men with us, and, you know, that phrase, all lives matter, is an intentional erasure of the violence that's been done to black people, an endorsement of that violence, and a hostility against a movement that's very righteous that has sprung up that says black lives matter. Not black lives are better than others or matter more, but black lives matter, which is it's such a necessary statement. It's a horror that it's a necessary statement, but to be hostile towards that and to get in the faces and unmasked, yelling in the faces of, of anybody but black people, that slogan is all lives matter, is a form of, of real white supremacist rallying cry. Then there was the back the blue, the blue lives matter. There's all that sentiment, but also Trump 2020. I, I don't think there's any way to take that chant without in this era, that that's a white supremacist rallying cry.
0: So, not only is this a mob, a racist mob, but it's also an unmasked mob. And those of us who are trying to stay safe as much as possible, you know, what would it be for me to endanger myself by letting some racist thug breathe, like, scream on me, right? Spit, you know, spitting on me, practically. And how, how would that be making my life matter? You know what I mean? So... Well, I, I think that's one reason why a lot of people wouldn't come. Because we had a very good counter-protest to the Unite the Right to rally a couple of years ago. And there were like tens of thousands of people who came out. And then it turned out to only be about a dozen not- neo-Nazis that came. It was like the opposite, right? Yeah. So why do you think that people, more people didn't come and... Do you think that that emboldened the white supremacists to not have a counter protest?
10: Yeah, to start with your last question, I think it did embolden them. Look, Trump and his fascist regime and his fascist social base, they suffered a real defeat. They had some of the puff taken out of their chest when they lost the election and that was good. They got put on the defensive and the people, remember people, we poured into the streets and danced, not because we're all fans of Biden, but because Trump, that fascist, genocidal racist, that bloated bag of fascist feces, got defeated. Okay, that was that was beautiful. But they came here to get the initiative back, in the seat of power, to in the nation's capital to maraud like that, and I'm sorry, there should have been tens of thousands against them. If there had been, we would have been much safer, all of us. And not just individually, but the future would be safer. Because again, Never has a mob that's been allowed to amass and grow gone away on its own. It gets worse. And these people are filled with revenge, and they want to make 2020. They think it's been stolen from them. They want to make that a rallying cry to continue their aggression and going forward. I mean, I know that uh, I'm primarily talking to you about the early in, earlier in the day
0: um, but there, there were people who came out, like you said, uh, more counter-protesters came out later to confront the, these uh, MAGA protesters. And there were confrontations. There were physical confrontations. There were also the people who, the Trump people who tore down, were allowed to tore, tear down the art monument at Black Lives Matter Plaza, tear down some of the other murals that were on storefronts. And so do you have any and where you uh,
10: did you see any of that or do you have anything else to add from the from that day you know i just think it's exactly what you said about these look the proud boys were out there There was people chanting, break out Kyle, talking about Kyle Rittenhouse, the teenager who shot and killed two protesters for black lives in Kenosha. This was a hero of these people. We need to understand these are conspiracy-minded people, people who really think Trump won and it was stolen from them. They're so detached from reality and they're so filled with frustrated sense of white supremacist entitlement that what they did to the murals, the Black Lives Matter signs, attacking pieces of wood that say black lives matter these are people who wish that they could have been doing that to black people and the the main thing is there should be really there's millions who in their hearts oppose this if we came out in public this wouldn't be this wouldn't have the initiative but if people got to stop thinking just about themselves and their own well-being. We have to come out. We have to show what we stand for. And we have to be the embodiment of a future where we actually cherish the lives of people around the world as much as ourselves. The diversity of different backgrounds, races, nationalities, genders. If we manifest that publicly, we could actually bring that future closer. But if we stay home, these people are not stopping and they're not going away.
0: Yeah, I mean, the fact that he... The the, the election was so close and that he did win 70 million votes, that says that there are a lot of people out there who support him. On the other hand, I think that the anti-fascist activists here and around the country have organized in the past and maybe this was uh, an attempt to, this will spur them on, seeing what happened will spur them to reorganize. because. When a coalition of people come together here in D.C., it is very large and it is very powerful. So I think that can happen, and I think that people need to be organized and be rallied together to come out. So we'll definitely be covering, continuing to cover the movement um, here, wherever we're broadcasting. So I want to thank you, Sansara Taylor, co-convener of Refuse Fascism.
10: Thank you so much, Esther. It's great to be talking with you.
0: Okay, I am here with Sean Michael Love, founder and editor in chief of Black House News, which is a grassroots operation here in DC since June. Welcome to On the Ground, Sean.
2: Thank you so much. I'm glad to be meeting with you today.
0: So, I'm really trying to get a firsthand account on some of the violence that happened here in DC over the weekend when the so-called million MAGA march happened and before and, and the after effects.
2: I think there was a concerted effort by mainstream media and celebrities and the Democratic, and I call them the latte liberals, mm-hmm. that, no, you need to stay home, you need to ignore these folks. Let And there was a literal talk, let them have the city, which just, the, again, the audacity. Right. Let these hate, this hateful group have the city. The other thing that was going on that I think people don't realize in the black community is we just lost Karan Hilton. right? So we were just protesting up at 4th District, which is not at Black Lives Matter Plaza. So you had that going on subsequently as well, that that protest would have still been going on that would have led to people not being there. Mm -hmm. But there was a consistent effort across all social media platforms and mainstream media to say telling people to stay home. Mm -hmm. And it was disappointing. It's disheartening. The idea that hate and fear and your response is to stay in your house. I, I don't think that's how you should respond. And given where we are in 2020 and just being frank, as far as black America, as far as this still, I consider it chocolate city. To allow white supremacists to say, "Give them the city, stay in your home," that's equivalent to making D.C. a sundown town. <laughs> like, okay, don't go outside this weekend because we got white nationalists coming through. No, right. So there was there was definitely a group to say, "No, we not. That's not the response that we're going to have to white nationalists." Right. Like, we do compare them to the Ku Klux Klan. Right.
0: Right. right.
2: So so we're going to go back to the Jim Crow era. No way! I don't see. I don't. That's it's. It, that is not the proper response to hate. History has shown us, has shown us that's not the proper response. And this weekend, it's clearly not the proper response. You need to show up and stand up in force when hate tries to run through.
0: Right. I think that you and other observers noted that there was a big difference between how NPD interacted with. Some of these protesters and and their actions, as opposed to what you've seen in the previous weeks, you know, in terms of covering the Black Lives Matter protests, what are the differences that you saw?
2: Well, I'll put it perfectly for you. A mother grieving for her child, demanding justice, right? Demanding video evidence of what happened to her son. She throws a water bottle and gets maced. Uh-oh, or I'll say allegedly throws but she gets maced they shoot flashbangs and tear gas at everybody around but they mace the mother of someone who just passed, who, who they took their life
0: you're talking about he, Karan hilton's mother mhm mhm
2: so so to give you that perspective they also arrested um his father while he stood up for justice no there was only one proud, there was one proud boy arrested throughout the weekend. Um, And that's because he was just heavily armed. They were allowed to go through the city, do whatever they wanted. No tear gas, no mace, no pepper spray. They got an escort.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And not only was the art torn down at Black Lives Matter Plaza, but there were posters and I guess some of the you know where they have the people have the wood covering their windows. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Tell me, what was it? Was it just the posters in the windows, or was the wood yeah, covering the, the windows? Wood, or-
2: the wood covering. Yeah, they were out to, to rip those down, and they had the time. The police sat back and gave them the time to do so. Wow. We spray paint a wall. We spray paint a wall. They're coming in instantly. And the other thing that's not highlighted is they were able to put white nationalists, racist propaganda and putting stickers in its place right okay so to to, to promote their their insignia right so they had they, they had ample time without <laughs> being tear gassed without being pepper sprayed no rubber bullets
0: what's going to happen now i understand that these white supremacist groups are coming back this weekend the that would be the what the weekend of here the 20th 21st
2: the 21st yeah they're not going to be back in in large numbers they do have a ride along there there is a it's a ride it's a ride rally so they're going to like the bikers for trump are going to come through which there are going to be some proud boys in there but i think from from what we've deduced that they're they're going to be focusing on Wisconsin and they're going to be going up there to Milwaukee to protest And they're also going to go to Atlanta to protest. But we fully expect them to be back December 12th after the Electoral College
0: is finalized.
2: It's finalized. They Mm -hmm. will be back no matter what to protest as well. But I encourage the city, regardless of what they're doing, we need to understand that we need to reclaim the city and that we still have several reasons to be in the street. Mm -hmm. We still have a fascist that's in office, even though he's a lame duck. He's doing everything that he can to keep power, to hold power, and to oppress this this country and this people, and especially black and brown people. Mm-hmm. We still need justice for Kwan Charles. We still need justice for Karon Hilton. We still need to abolish ICE. There is a protest this Saturday in regards to abolishing ICE. There is a protest in regards to ending SARS. There are several reasons every day for us to stand up to fascism. And in DC, especially the citizens in DC, it is beholden to us that, that we answer the call for everybody else in the nation, because the world sees when DC rises. Mm-hmm. If, if, and if we do, if we keep standing back and kind of going echoing Trump's words when he says "stand back and stand by." If we are going to be the type of people that in this city, when hate comes through, we stand back and stand by. Um, fascism is going to win. Racism is going to win. And we will not have justice for black lives. Our lives will continue to be diminished. Black dreams, black futures will continue to be diminished. And that's unacceptable to me.
0: Well, were you... During any coverage when we had the Unite the Right, uh, the counter protest mm-hmm. against the Unite the Right 2 rally a couple years ago? Yeah. Um, because there, right? that was a real organized and well attended counter protest, and it turned out to be just a handful of, of white supremacists who came, got a, received an escort on Amtrak <laughs> to right. come up here. And I was so proud of the transit workers Who refused to carry them Or whatever So that was was a protest there
2: For reality, the black people Especially that were out there We understood the magnitude of what it meant Right? Given all history You Mm -hmm. cannot let hate walk through unopposed Right History has taught us that And our lives are truly at stake And there's too many people Comfortable with fascism But the people that were out there understood the magnitude and understood the severity of what it means to give them the street. Right. Because that means if I'm not safe to just go to my grocery store at night because we got these people walking through, that allows them the leverage to do that in future situations. Right. You cannot give hatred and racism an inch because they will hang you with that.
0: Right. Right. An inch uh, or more of an inch of a rope. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Right. So what do you what do
0: you see happening? There is a pretty, you know, it's actually a pretty large anti-fascist contingents here in the city. Do you see them perhaps organizing uh, better in the coming weeks for December?
2: I mean, I'm I'm hopeful. Yeah, (laughs) that's what I'm going to be. You know, I'm I'm going to keep ringing that bell. Mm -hmm. Right. It needs to start now. We cannot wait. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to start organizing and being prepared. We need to learn how to protect ourselves and keep us keep, you know, keep each other safe. Mm-hmm. But the streets need to be filled and they need to be filled in masses. Right. Um, there should be no way they should be able to congregate and charge at any one particular group mm-hmm. and be successful and in, in hurt and stab and brutalize black women at the LGBT com- community. There's just there's no way.
0: Well, um, I want to thank my guest, Sean Michael Love, founder and editor in chief of Black House News.
2: Thank you so much, Elsa. I really appreciate you.
0: Well, the F word will have the last word for today's episode of On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. A special thank you to Chantal James, Lydia Curtis, Thomas O'Rourke, and Professor Gerald Horn. You can check out all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, OnTheGroundShow.org. And you can reach out to us and support us there as well. You can also let us know you like the show at OnTheGroundShow on Facebook, Twitter, or on Patreon.com, again, at OnTheGroundShow. Our new podcast, On the Ground with Esther Ivarum, that's On the Ground, W, Esther Ivarum, is on all your podcast platforms. And if you check out the podcast, I would appreciate a nice rating from you. Our new podcast, our social media pages and website all have a protest sign with green lettering that says on the ground. If you don't see that, that's not the right on the ground. The music we played this hour included Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder. We Are Rising by Taina Asili. And our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace.